0: If you have your Bibles, open them up to Exodus chapter 19. We spent, um, I had a lot of fun last week, I hope you guys did too. We spent a week uh, last week and, you know, we went through seven different stops that the nation of Israel and camps that they camped in. If you weren't here last week, pick up the tape. Um, can I still say pick up the tape? Is That, that, that dates me, I realize that. But you guys know what I mean when I say pick up the tape, right? There's no actual tape that you put in the cassette anymore. Unless you, get, unless you drive my Chevy, it's still got a tape deck. I don't know where you're going to get a tape to put in the deck. I got one tape still in my truck. Lee Greenwood. <laughs> oh, my. yeah. And so, anyways, get the tape, the CD, the podcast, the MP3, the however we roll these days. Get that. Check it out. Um, And so today, we've been through leaving Egypt, the seven camps or stops. And in every camp, there was this different personality, this different um, trial, this different test as God has taken his people out of Egypt. And now he's trying to get Egypt out of his people. And it's a it's a picture of the Christian life. And I hope that we we were able to to weave that picture and paint that picture. Um, And I felt like God, you know, the Holy Spirit showed up and we were able to 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 see that very clearly as we go through these seven stages of, of the life and the stages of the Israelites and where they struggled and where they triumphed and how that applies to us today. As, as we get to the place where we are now in um, the Old Testament, we come to chapter 19. And chapter 19 is like the introduction to the law. Now, now some of the things that um, we talk about, and you might hear somebody say something to you like, well, that's Old Testament law and, and that's New Testament. And we spent a lot of time, and as we studied here in Galatians, and if you haven't um, tackled Galatians yet, again, you can get the tapes from here. We taught through it last year. You could just read it on your own. we got a big reading assignment this week. If you're here on Sunday, we're reading 1 John five times this week. Throw Galatians in there if you've got some time. But it, 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 it really tackles, Paul takes the gloves off in Galatians, and he really tackles the idea of law versus grace. Because God did institute a law. And this is where we are in the Bible. Uh, Exodus 19 is going to begin to introduce this, this trip to Sinai, this, this eighth camp from Egypt to where they're going to end up in Sinai. And what's going to happen on Mount Sinai? God is going to give Moses the, the law. The law came at Sinai. Okay, Horeb is another name you'll see in the Bible. If you see that term Horeb, parentheses, that's just another name for Mount Sinai. So for the next, like, I don't know how many chapters, I didn't count them all, but you can, you can flip through Exodus and, and read all the titles, and it's, it's all the different laws as God starts to lay down the law to Moses. You know, I, I had people say, and one of the things that we, I want you guys to kind of catch in the law is that, yes, God in the Old Testament, he, he had a system by which people were um, to, to communicate with him. A system by which people were to, to relate to God that changed when Jesus died on the cross. And now we're not under that old covenant anymore. We're under the new covenant. And so, yes, there's an Old Testament covenant. That's what the word testament means. Testament is another word for covenant. So if you hear Old Covenant or Old Testament, New Testament, the same thing. Old Covenant, New Covenant. God's covenant with his people was the law in the Old Testament. God's covenant with his people in the New Testament is grace, right? But, but I do want to point something out as we get to this section in the Bible. I want you to understand that um, over half of the Old Testament is behind us now. Abraham marks the halfway point of the Old Testament. If we just take 4,000 years, and that's a rough estimate, but we, we estimate about 4,000 years from Adam to Jesus. Okay? About 4,000 years from Adam to Jesus. So you'd think that if, if the Old Testament covers a span of 4,000 years, then you flip to somewhere like in the middle of the Old Testament, and that's, that's the 2,000-year mark, but that's not the case. When you get to chapter 7, 10 of Genesis, you've already reached the halfway point of the Old Testament. And, and then so by the time we get to Moses, that we've had 2,000 years of, of men walking on the earth without the law without this covenant that God laid down. You know, tithing, for example. People say that, that tithing is an Old Testament, a part of the Old Testament law, which it is. But but we always point out that Melchizedek lived 500 years before the, God ever gave the law, and he tithed. Or Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. And so, just again, just wanted to point out that, yes, this is the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, where, where God's deal, but really... It didn't start with Adam, right? It didn't start until we get here in Exodus 19 to Mo- to Moses. So, um, last little parentheses, and then we're going to get into um, chapter 19, verse 1. We we talked last week, and we, we went through all the different parallels from Old Testament to New Testament. Obviously, the bread and the manna that God sent down. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And we came right up to 19. We didn't finish it last week. And I told you guys as we were leaving that that there there are some very... Um, very specific, very cool parallels between when the law was given in Exodus, starting in Exodus 19, and when the um, Holy Spirit was given. Because those are the two parallels from the Old and the New Testament. So Exodus 19 has some very cool um, parallels and similarities to when the law was given, time of the year, the way it came. As you know, when the law was given, um, 3,000 people died the day the law was given. And the day that the Holy Spirit was given and the day that the church was born at Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus um, rose from the grave, then 3,000 souls were were what? Were saved. So you have those, those two cool parallels, that number 3,000. Um, you guys know the story. Not long after this, um, Moses is going to go up on the hill. Go up on the mountain to meet with God. God himself with the hand of God is going to write on these tablets, the Ten Commandments. Moses is going to be carrying them down the hill. And, and it's the camp of Israel is in complete disarray. They, they, Moses was gone too long. They took all their gold. They melted it down. They, 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 they carved some calves, some golden calves. They were dancing around them naked. There was all kinds of orgy stuff going on. And pagan, pagan, pagan worship. And Moses gets angry and he throws the tablets down and um, breaks the original Ten Commandment tablets that God gave him. And so on that day, 3,000 pe- 3, people died. So, chapter 19, verse number 1. I'm not going to get into the Acts thing today, you guys. You can just kind of, like I said, we just, just do that on our own if you'd like. Um, in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, On the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. And they had departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountains. Quick note on Sinai. I should have my maps up, but I don't. Um, If you go on the internet and you type in Mount Sinai, where is Mount Sinai? You're going to find in between the Red Sea crossing, the Red Sea has this little V where, where they, the, the nation of Israel would have went over the first part of the, the two bodies of water. My hands represent two bodies of water that are the Red Sea. And in the middle is what's called the Sinai Peninsula. Still that way today. It's actually what's in the borders of Egypt. And so as you follow the biblical narrative of where they left Egypt and where they were slaves, you see this trek north where Israel's going to be like right here. Egypt is here. And they're on their way, and right in this northern section is all the Philistine country. And very clearly, God does not direct them into Philistine country. He says, Do not go north into the Philistine country. And so you know at that point, they went south and they went down into this V, and probably about halfway through that is where, and I pointed out before on the maps when we did this part, but is where the Red Sea crossing would have happened. They've already gone to the other side of the Red Sea crossing. Somebody tell me, where when they crossed the Red Sea, when the nation of Israel crossed the Red Sea and they got to the other side, what country were they in? Nobody. Where? Arabia. We know, and the Bible says they went through Arabia. It was called Arabia in Moses' day. Today it's called Saudi Arabia. It's, it's in modern-day Saudi Arabia. And so there's a place there in Saudi Arabia, around this place, where some argue that, that Mount Sinai actually is, and that makes more sense really to me. And so because they had already crossed the Red Sea, and so some, some archaeologists, and there, there's some videos, oh there, that's a great great, that's the picture I'm looking for. So, um, see that V there, Sinai Peninsula here. Now that goes over where the wilderness of Shur and Canaan, that area in there. That's where the Philistine country would be. They left Goshen. And they they would have went, actually, this is not the... They would have went over here, and they would have came into this area, and then went south, and the actual Red Sea crossing would have been right on the right V through the middle there, which would have put them here in Arabia. This is modern-day Saudi Arabia. Israel's up that way. Um, And so, very possible, and it it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it has nothing to do with your heaven, your hell. It's just nerdy stuff that Bible people like, like me. But um, Mount Sinai... And I have a video that, that we've gone there, and archaeologists have studied it, and it just fits, man. There's this place in Saudi Arabia that just fits all the biblical narrative of the rock, of the um, of this description of Mount Sinai, and, and it's in Saudi Arabia. So as soon as the Saudi Arabian government found out that it was a, a possible biblical a holy site archaeological find you can go there today you can check it out on google maps it's it's fenced and so there's this big huge area in the middle of the desert no there's no people or anything out there but it's all fenced with these signs bob wire fence so you can't get anywhere near it at least it's preserved so the actual location of mount sinai and where it is today um possibly i believe it's in it's in modern day saudi arabia some say that it's on the other side they would have crossed the first side like that map showed went down and it would be in the actual Sinai Peninsula. All right. None of y'all care. But you had to listen anyways. All right. So in verse 3 it says, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You, shall, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. So God is going to give them the law. But but I like how God shows up here first, and, and first He's going to remind the people of who He is and what He's done for them, and, and and we have this example how God uses it here. You guys, anybody familiar with Isaiah forty thirty one? You will mount up with wings of eagles, and you you will run and not grow weary, and you will walk and not faint, and the Lord will lift you up on wings of eagles. And that's a terrible uh, quote of that verse, but you get the point, right? I could, I could read it to you. But we have several places in the Bible where we, we have this analogy that God uses to describe the relationship that he has with us as, as an eagle. And so here we get one here, the first one. Now, therefore, I'm sorry. Verse four, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Turn, turn with me just to, to find Deuteronomy 32 verse nine. So Deuteronomy, just moved to the right, about two books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the place of His inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland and the howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up and carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led him and there was no foreign God with him. And then as you guys know, I'm going to read the actual verse because I messed it up so bad. Isaiah 40:31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so we get this this metaphor of an eagle have you guys ever heard a pastor or a teacher or something and i was i had it ready man i was gonna tell it dude there there's there's this um i've heard it several times but you know eagles make their nests way high up in the wings uh, in the wings way high up in the trees and the nests can be prickly, and they can make them in such a way that they they're, they're uncomfortable, and they're padded with with feathers inside. And at some point, when it's time for the little eaglet to to fly, the mother starts making the nest more and more uncomfortable. And and at some point, you know, even if necessary, she'll nudge it over the side, and it'll fall, and it'll work hard to fly. And at the last minute, the mother eagle will swoop down and catch it and bring it back up. and And it's this beautiful metaphor of of you know this these passages of this eagle except for one little problem it's not true (laughs) it's not scientific at all i found out about six o'clock today i've heard that story a bunch of times i was like it's so it's so fits makes you feel good it makes sense so i i went and checked it out and i'm like there's no way and the first time an eagle flies it's 12 weeks old a 12 week old eagle is almost the size of its mother And a mother is not catching it on its back. And he's not pushing it out of the nest. And an actual nest looks nothing like that. So, you know, it doesn't take away from the the metaphor. The metaphor really is because it's consistent with the heart of God. And and the message in that is just that, yes, sometimes the nest gets prickly. And God does things in our lives to push us out. Lydia and I, for example, when we were called to come to Tooele, everything in, in our lives in Yucca Valley was pretty comfortable. You know, and I could get into the details. You guys have heard me whine about it already. But my, my kids, first of all, starting there, my kids were in small, private Christian school. They, they had wonderful sports programs that were that were catered for us. They, the, each one of the teachers were, were friends of ours. They loved our kids. They got the Bible in school every day. Lydia had a good job. I had a good job. We had tons of friends. We had a home Bible study. And we had 40 couples on our roster and, and everything was good. Life was good. I mean, not perfect, but it was good. And then when God began to call us out here, some of those things started to change in our lives. Some of those things weren't as comfortable as they used to be. They weren't as easy. And there was actually some difficult things that we were facing at the time. A- as we look back, it really made it a little bit easier. Some of the things that some of the struggles, some of the things that God was using some of those things, um, things that got turned upside down in the last six months in the last year before we left that 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 helped and so it's very consistent the eagle story is is really cute and and it's really consistent with with the heart of god and the way god works the problem is it's just not scientifically true you know it's like paul fell off his horse that sounds good but right there's no there's no horse in the bible but um so i don't know i'm gonna tell you now because i had this big eagle story prepared for you And then I had to to go look it up right before I left. I could have come and told you guys this wonderful eagle story, and you wouldn't have known any better. (laughs) Had to go check it out. In verse 5, it says, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all. All people for the earth is mine. Somebody write John 15 next to that verse. Again, one of the things that that we pointed out on Sunday, and again, if you weren't here on Sunday, do what? Get the tape. (laughs) If you weren't here on Sunday, get the tape. Um, but one of the things that, that we, we really emphasized on Sunday was that the heart of God was the same in the Old Testament as it was in the New Testament. He wanted to be intimate and personal and friends with his people. He wanted, the Bible says that we are created um, for fellowship. And God created us for companionship and fellowship and, and to be his friend. And so here we see this same consistent heart that we see in Jesus. In John 15, what did Jesus say? That's why I asked you to write it there. But in John chapter 15, we studied this two weeks ago. Jesus said, as the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I, I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And so we have this, this call of God, um, to this, this relationship that, that requires obedience on our part. You know, one of the processes as you're growing in your Christian walk, you know, for me, it was stupid stuff. I would get in bed at night and, and I hadn't brushed my teeth. And I really felt in the spirit, God was telling me, get up and go brush your teeth. And I'm arguing with the Lord, like, I'm already in bed, Lord, I just do it in the morning. And and I'm feeling convicted. And it's like, no, get up and go brush your teeth. So I got to get up, I got to go in the bathroom, brush my teeth, which I should have done already, you know, gross, all right, whatever, don't judge. I I didn't brush my teeth that night, okay? I'm sure y'all went to bed once, unless you're my wife, went to bed once in your life without brushing your teeth first. But, you know, it had nothing to do with brushing my teeth. But little things like that would happen, in, in, in my life, little, little stupid things. You know, I'd pour myself a coke, and, and I would just feel in my heart, "Don't drink it. Throw it away. Nothing to do with the coke. Nothing to do. I'm not talking about calories or sugar or bad or good. That's not the point." And that, but the reality was, there, there was these little just things, and part of those things in the training is that God will use those things to, um, to test your obedience. Not, not only just to test it, because he, he's more interested in training it. He's more interested in sharpening it and encouraging it. But but I did find out that some of those same things, like I didn't want to get up and, and go brush my teeth. I was already in bed. But on a consistent basis, when I ran into those things and I did what I felt like God was telling me or calling me to do, then, when, then maybe I was going to be faced with a big problem. A big, um, call of God. It was going to be faced with a big challenge of the Lord. And now is was going to be called to go, you know, go tell somebody about Jesus or go, you know, talk or go, go to a foreign country or go do something. And all those little things were, were pre- preparation for being obedient to what it was that God told me to do, you know? And so there, there is that, again, there is that, that relationship that we have that requires obedience on our part. It wasn't any different in the old Testament as it is in the new Testament. And then just really quickly, as, you know, the Lord called Israel and he said, if you'll do, you know, one of the things that I think that, you know, want want us to understand about the nation of Israel, this thing's not cooperating, is is they missed it. They missed it in the Old Testament and they missed it in the New Testament. And and God had called them and basically said to them, if you'll do what I command you, the, the heart of God for the nation of Israel and why God chose Israel or his function for Israel was that Israel was supposed to be a nation of kings and priests. What's a priest? A priest is somebody who, who, who speaks to God for the people. So the people speak to the priest and then the priest takes that to God. And then God speaks to the priest and then the priest goes and tells the people what God said. He's this go-between. Now, now today, Jesus is our go-between and we don't have the function of a priest anymore. But, but Israel itself as a nation, this was their call. They were to be a priest, they were to be a light into the world. They were entrusted with the most valuable thing in the world, which is the Word of God. And they were called to share the Word and, and be a light to the rest of the world. When Jesus um, was in Jerusalem, just before He died, He looked over the city. And, the, and, and one of the several places in the New Testament where it records for us that Jesus wept, it says He wept over Jerusalem. And he said, if you would have known this thy day, your peace or your your potential in peace and your potential in life. And you think from that day, had, the, had Jerusalem, had the nation of Israel um, received their Messiah and the light of Jesus began in Jerusalem and spread the world we live in today, I promise you, would be a completely different world. And Jesus wept because he saw that he saw what was going to happen. He saw how they rejected what happened with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament was they had the law of God, they had the word of God, they had the, the God that parts the Red Sea when the pagan nations didn't have that. They had the God who killed the, the firstborn in Egypt. They had the God who led them by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud in the day. They, they had the one true God who loved them, who says to them they were the apple of His eye. And rather than being a light and taking this, this God to the world, the nation of Israel turned inward and they became self-righteous and they became legalistic and they became um, guarded over their things to the point where in the New Testament we see Pharisees who, were, who will, they would wrap their clothes and, and tie them close to their bodies when they walked in the street because if the hem of their garment touched a Gentile, they would have to burn it and destroy it and they would be defiled and have to go through uh, ritual cleansing because they, 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 they hated the rest of the world and they just didn't want nothing to do with them. Still that way in Israel today, with the ultra-Orthodox Jews, they're inward. They, they, they don't want you to, to touch their world, to touch their lives. They, they just want to be left alone and they have God and they don't need nobody and they don't have a vision or a passion to go tell anybody. They just want to be left alone. They've turned inward. And, and for us as a church, for us as a people, for us as Christians, it's very important that we don't turn inward. Very important that we don't, you know, um, I, I tease homeschool families sometimes with that idea, you know, that we we, we turn inward, and I'm not I'm just teasing. Don't, don't get upset. Don't write me an email or talk to me about homeschool and how great it is. It is great. It's wonderful. No problem with homeschool. I think it's an excellent way to educate your kids. What I'm saying is that with, with that... Um, Idea, where as Christians we're supposed to go and, and build a community and put big walls around it so nobody else comes in it and that, that we're never supposed to be a part of the world and we're never supposed to touch the world and the world is never supposed to touch us that as our Christianity turns inward and we don't want to be vulnerable we don't want to be out there in the world we don't want to, as Jesus said, be, be sheep among wolves that, that Christianity becomes something that you know, we don't want to hear no evil, see no evil, tell no evil type of thing That that's really not the life that Jesus lived. The Bible says that Jesus was a was a friend of sinners. They called him a wine bibber and a glutton because he ate and he hung out with sinners. Now that doesn't mean that we go and we hang out in the bars and do what they're doing. Obviously not, right? But but be careful with that mentality of Christianity that says, um, you know, I don't want anything on the around, nothing to touch me or my kids. You know, and, and and unfortunately that's that's not the heart that that Jesus called, and that's what the nation of Israel did, and that's why God here, that's what he's talking about here in, um, in Exodus 19. They're going to go on, and they're, they're not going to get it right. They're going to mess it up, but he, he says, you know, if you'll do what I command, there'll be a, an amazing blessing, and for us, I really believe, you know, the, the great commission is to go into all the nations, tribes, tongues, and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I taught you to do. Do we want to keep ourselves from the the evils of this world? Absolutely. Do we want to avoid being in places, movies, clubs, situations, you know, Vegas strip at, at midnight? You know, it's probably things, yeah, we want to avoid those things, just common sense things. But we we don't want to... You know, we just again—I've already said it—but we just we don't we don't want to develop a Christianity that is behaves like the Orthodox Jews do today. Okay, so Lydia and I were in Vegas at midnight on the Strip. <laughs> True story. We went um, Celine Dion to see to, for her birthday or anniversary or something, and Celine was gone forever, and she just came back. She was coming back to her show. The show was canceled. It was gone. So it was like her reopening night. And it was the opening night of the new... It was a big deal. And so um, I surprised Lydia and I bought tickets. And I could care less about Celine Dion. But it was for Lydia. Lydia really liked it. And so anyways, we went. We, we, stayed, we stayed. We went to the Celine Dion concert. And um, we're leaving or something. We're walking on the strip in Vegas. And there's this family, I promise you, from Kansas. They look like they just got out of the tractor they didn't change their clothes before they went down the the strip and in this one particular casino they they have at the at the poker tables or blackjack tables they have in the middle of the table where people are sitting around playing with the dealers there they have dancers girls dancing in there and they don't start this practice till like i don't know late at night so we see this family from kansas 12 o'clock at night walking down the strip and they have probably a 12-year-old boy that's with them. And he's walking and he notices what happens in there. So he's just like, he's stuck, you know. And his parents are like, looking like, they finally grab him. and They're like, what are you doing? Let's go. You know? I'm like, what would you expect? What in the world do you have this 12-year-old kid walking down the street in Vegas at, at, at midnight for? Him? And you're shocked because he saw something that well, you didn't want him to see? What's wrong with you? Get out of here! Get me out of here! Shoot, what, I got no no more business than that twelve year old kid did being there. But, anyways, that's not going to be on the tape, right? Yeah, don't tell that story. Uh where we at? Verse seven. So Moses. Came and called for the elders and the people and laid before them all the words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord had spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And again, the, the function of Moses as the pastor, or priest figure there. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the Lord to the Lord. The words of the people to the Lord. And then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So, on the day that God gave the Ten Commandments, just know this, plug this away, put this in your file, what's going to happen is God's going to bring all the people around Mount Sinai. And he gave strict instructions that they were not to touch Mount Sinai, they were not to get near it, that their animals were not to walk on it, because God's presence was going to be there. The Bible says in the New Testament, our God is an all-consuming fire. And that, that, that you know, the Bible says no man can see the face of God and live. When Moses asked to see the face of God, Moses saw the, the, the back of God in the train, but Moses could never see his face and live. And so God says, I'm going to show up. So what's going to happen here in Exodus chapter 20 is God is going to show up. He's going to speak. And it says when they hear, they actually are going to hear this, this, this audience of, of Hebrew people. Possibly 3 million people are going to hear in Exodus chapter 20 the, the literal voice of God. And the voice of God is described several ways. It's described as um, the sound of rushing water, the, of, of the trumpets, the trumpet blast. And so this, 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 this voice of God is going just like the voice of God spoke at Jesus's baptism, right? Jesus, Jesus was baptized as Jesus came up. An audible voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So God's going to show up in Exodus chapter 20 and is going to speak with his voice to the people. And as he does that, he says, Moses, make sure the people stand back. Make sure they don't come too close. Make sure that not one animal touches the mountain as I descend upon it, because that animal will die within my, within my presence. Let, let me give you guys a little parenthesis here, a little side note. It was just kind of an interesting thought, um, so I'll share it with you. But, you know, you, you hear about how Jesus protects us. And, 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 and we think like Jesus protects us from evil. He protects us from the devil and his minions. And, and, and this one pastor in, in teaching this, he says, you know, one of the things that... And one of the main things that Jesus is protecting you from is the Father. Is this, this God um, who, who ha- cannot tolerate and, and, can, and, and sin can't be in His presence... And it's, and it's Jesus is our mediator. And that just makes the ministry and the work of Jesus Christ in my life so much more um, powerful. I'm so much more thankful that the reality is without Jesus, I would never be in the presence of this holy God. I would never be anywhere near Him because, because my sin would, would, he would consume me. And yet it's Jesus who is the propitiation. It's Jesus who is the mediator. It's Jesus who is, is, is on my behalf and has filled me so that when the Father, and when I do stand in the Father's presence one day, that I'll be welcome there because Jesus is the one that's protecting me and Jesus is the one that's, that's, that's the advocate for me. So, side thought, side note. So, I um, want to talk about, look at um, the end of verse number 10. Who's talking in verse number 10? And the Lord said to Moses. Who's talking in verse number 10? The Lord. So God is speaking to Moses. And he says, go tell the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their clothes. On the third day, I'm going to show up and we're going to have this church service. And I am going to speak to the people. They're going to hear my voice audibly. And he says, have them wash their clothes. You know, I've, I've heard commentary here that says that this is talking about. Now, they don't have like you and I. Like, don't don't get it twisted. They didn't have, like, a closet in the wilderness where they went to in the morning and kind of thumbed through their hangers to decide what they were going to put on that day. They had one outfit. They wore it. They took it off. And in their skivvies, they washed it and dried it. And when it was done, they put it back on. Or, or when it finally wore out, maybe they got a new one. But it was, it was what they had. And so God says, and why, why is God... What is the point? Why did God want them to consecrate themselves to to prepare and to go wash their clothes. Some would say, "See, I told you you're supposed. To, you're not supposed to be wearing jeans and a short sleeve shirt church. You gotta have a shirt and tie." God said, "Wash them clothes." What he meant was put on a shirt and tie. Well, that that that's that's not what what's happening here. I don't think that's what God is concerned about. I think the issue is here here is that it wasn't so much a matter of reverence with, and I think that you know. It's a matter of the heart, right? God says to Samuel, Men look on the outward appearance, but I look upon the heart. But I think what God is really deal- dealing with here is a preparation to come into His presence. A preparation that's not haphazard. A preparation that is, that is reverent in its, in its preparation in that you were consecrated. You would prepare. You would wash your clothes. You, you would do your best. You, you would be in the Word. You would show up with, with a preparation. He didn't, he, didn't, you know, he didn't want him rolling out of bed that morning. Oh, oh, I'm going to hear the voice of God today. Oh, you know, like, he, he wanted there to be some preparation of their heart. You know, the Bible says, in the, when you hear this term wash, anywhere in the New Testament and places in the Old Testament, it's always in reference to the Word of God. How may a young man keep his ways pure? By taking heed according to your word. How may a young man cleanse or wash his ways? By taking heed according to your word. It says to present um, your bride holy and and without without blemish by washing her in the water of the word is what the New Testament tells us in Ephesians 5. And so being and having this preparation where, you know, again, if you guys come to church and all you come is for, you know, and you hear me blabber on and tell bad jokes and mess up the scriptures for 45 minutes twice a week and that's all you get, it's not sufficient. You're not going to grow. There's no preparation if, unless you're in the Word for yourself. I get you. Maybe if you'll show up twice a week, I, I get you for an hour and a half a, a, a week. And the world gets you. Your job gets you. Your struggles get you. Your stress gets you. For the other 170 hours a week, um, it, it just it doesn't wash. It won't compare. So there, there's 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 that power of you in your own life. Being in the Word for yourself, being close to Jesus for yourself, having this preparation. Wash your clothes before you come into God's presence, and please, before you come to church, wash your clothes. Wash them stinky feet. Just kidding. But again, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think that you can paint a very good picture here or come up with a doctrine that that there's a certain dress that God required or or, or wants. You know, the reality is if. If Jesus walked into the back of some of those churches and sat down, they'd ask Him to leave. Because He, he wouldn't fit the, the the mold or He wouldn't fit the dress code of their church. And, you know, the, the, the heart, as you guys know, the heart is reverence. We we don't want to be irreverent towards God. We don't want to be disrespectful towards God. But but that can happen in as a matter of the heart. God says, man looks on the outside or I look on the heart. You know, we used to have people complain because... Um, the kids were wearing their hats in church or adults were wearing their hats in church. You know, and I, I, I was totally in agreement. So I'm like, I cannot believe that Trenton would show up and wear his hat in church. What's wrong with these people? No, I'm just kidding. But, but if seriously, they'd come, these kids are wearing their hats in church. And I'd say, well, the the truth, the reality is the church is wearing their hats in the building. Because this is not the church. That's the church. And the church is wearing their hats in the building. So, you know, you can't say that the kids are wearing their hats into the church. The church is, the building is not sacred. The the, the word church has nothing to do, the the Greek word church has nothing to do with buildings, has everything to do with the heart of people. And God said, I will build my church, my iglesia and it's 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 the body of Christ, and so, and and the other kind of twisty, stupid thing about that whole thing, when you when you're in Israel and you go to holy sites, guess what you have to do? You have to put a hat on. You got to cover your head, or you can't get in. <laughs> and over here, you know, and again, how does it happen? Practically, how does it happen? You know, in 1920, it was it was polite to, and still is, and and I'm. I'm Still a little old school, and so oftentimes out of habit, I take my hat off when I go into my grandma's house because I don't like that yardstick upside my ear. It hurts. And so I take my hat off when I walk in grandma's house, and there, there's, there's, it's polite. And it was always polite to remove the military. To this day, you remove your cover when you, when you come indoors. And, and then somewhere along the lines, that, that politeness and that tradition becomes godliness. And it's just not true. God doesn't care about that. God doesn't. I, I, hate, to, I hate to say. I hesitate because I, I hate to say God doesn't care. That's a bad way to start any sentence. God cares, but that, that, that's not. That's not. That's not in the Bible. It's not. It's not the heart of God. It, it's not Jesus Himself. And we can't take these man-made traditions and and turn them into doctrine and lose sleep over them and and fight over them. Same thing. You guys have heard me. Beat this one to death, but same thing with the organ. you know I told you a true story We, 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 we let Little League baseball use this room. They lost their building. They were in the, the city building across the street, and last year they, have this, they had a set of keys that they gave to the little league president, and he lost their key and It was a city thing, so they, they, they had to rekey every door, reissue all new keys. It was a big deal they they were you know you, you lose my key. So what? I'll just cut another one or whatever. But anyways, it was a huge deal. So then the very next year, they gave the keys to some other guy. They said, "Dude, keep, take care of these keys." Guess what? He lost the key second year in a row, and they kicked him out. They said, "We're not. Re, re, we're, you guys are done. You can't." So they called me in a panic. It was right in the end, and they said, "Hey, we just need a room. We need to do our baseball sign-ups. I said, "Yeah, come on." So we opened it up, and they they for two three weekends in a row, they did baseball sign-ups in here, and so I was I was a part of the baseball thing, so I was in here helping and this woman comes in and she is to the nine she just left nornstrom's her hair and her nails are all did she's in her high heels and she is looking like she is put together and and somehow she finds out that i'm the pastor of this church and she she's just she's trying to contain it she just can't do it finally she says is this your church and i said well no, I'm the pastor here, but it's not mine. You know, it's it's just a building. It's not, you know, just beat up old 1920s building that plumbing don't work, but yeah, I guess. And she says, are those your drums? She was so burnt by the drums sitting over there and she just couldn't handle it. And she's like, "Are, are those your drums? I said, oh no, they don't let me play the drums. I'm tone deaf. And I don't, I said, I'm terrible at playing the drums. And You know, I just let it fly. I didn't get into it with her. You know, I wanted to hit her upside the head with Psalm 150 and beg her just to go home and read the Bible or read Psalm 150 because Jesus, or the Bible says to praise Him with loud symbols. But anyways, um, but that whole idea and her philosophy, her heart that felt like it was irreverent and disrespectful to have those drums over there, where did that come from? It's obviously not in the Bible. The Bible tells us, a matter of fact, exactly the opposite. And the reality is... If we followed the Bibles to the letter prescription for worship, it says lute, harp, flute, lute, lyre, timbrel, um, stringed instruments, percussion instruments, loud cymbals, dance. I don't see any of you guys dancing when we're worshiping, but that's, that's the way that we would worship. So that's, that's the biblical prescription. But this lady's idea and and prevailing idea of worship is that this is irreverent and and this is not. And where did it come from? And and that, that, you know, in her church, they have this big pipe organ. But I want to tell you something about that big pipe organ. At some point, I don't know when, I think it was like 13, 14, 1500s, this pipe organ for the very first time was introduced to a church. And it was like the drums in this building. People left. It was done. What do you, how are you bringing that pipe organ into this church? And somehow, those that survived the introduction of the pipe organ into church, and then over the years, the pipe organ became the only holy, sanctified, biblical instrument you could have in a church. It has nothing to do with the Word of God. It has nothing to do with the heart of God. It only has to do with man's tradition. And then so now, we we eventually got to the point where that was the only acceptable instrument true story lydia's dad when he was in um junior or senior high i don't know if he was in uh sophomore eighth grade somewhere along there they were he was in a youth group in a methodist lutheran church in central kansas and the youth pastor brought some friends of his who, who were forming a Christian band to play a few songs for the youth group. It was the funnest night, he said, they ever had. This, these kids came in to youth group one night and they played an electric guitar and sang some songs. The board heard about it. They fired the youth pastor. They kicked these guys out because they played an electric guitar for the youth group and disbanded the youth group because they, they played an electric guitar in the church. What in the world is wrong with people, you know, but again, like can't justify that stuff unless unless it's unless the Bible specifically says And here again, this whole heart. And now that's a long. This was not anywhere in my notes, please. It's going to cover two chapters. Now I'm spending 45 minutes on one word. Wash your clothes. All right. Hey, I could have just told you guys wash your stinky clothes before you come to church. Show some reverence. In verse 11, And let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day, does that sound familiar to anybody? The Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up on the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned, or shot with an arrow, whether the man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. And then it came to pass. So another thing, Moses laid out that for this particular um, occasion, he he wanted them to fast from sexual intimacy with their wives leading up to this event. And again, you, you, you can't make a doctrine out of that or say that um, God um, doesn't want you or if you're in a holy moment or time that that you're, not supposed to, um, that you're supposed to fast sexual intimacy with your spouse. Paul teaches very clearly in the New Testament. And he says the only time, he says that your body is not your own, it belongs to your spouse. And your spouse's body is not their own and it belongs to your spouse. So that plays out something like that. Give me what's mine. That's not yours, that's mine. And I want it. So give it up. And that's the way it should go down every time. Or something like that. But I'm in the word. That that is Bible. I'll show you. But the Paul says, Paul says the only time that you abstain that you withhold sexual intimacy from your spouse is, is when you both agree, you both consent together. And it's for a time of fasting and praying. So you come together and you say, we're going to seek the Lord together. We're going to consecrate a fast that's going to include sexual intimacy. And during that time, we're going to, we're going to seek the Lord together as a couple. Then it says at the end, Paul says, come together so that Satan doesn't tempt you. And, and that's the biblical prescription. Hebrews says that the marriage bed is undefiled. So that means, you know, you, you can even pray before you, have, before you have sex. If you're married... Right? For a married couple. And so this is not some kibosh or some kind of um, God's heart against um, sexual intimacy. Nobody's looking at Everybody's looking down. (laughs) Did I embarrass you guys? So, um, but for this particular occasion, God did call for this this fast that, that he didn't want the husbands and wives coming together leading up to this point. But don't apply that to today or that that's some kind of, again, some kind of biblical one up. Um, only when you agree together and it's it's for the purpose of seeking the Lord together and then come back together at the end is what is what Paul tells us in the New Testament and it says in verse 18 and now mounts did I miss something 16 Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so all the people who were in the camp trembled and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain and now Mos- now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in a fire its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly and the and when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. And also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, set a bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. And then the Lord said to him, away! (laughs) So Moses is kind of arguing with the Lord here. The Lord is reminding Moses. He's saying, Moses, make sure the people don't come close. And Moses is like, Lord, chill out. We got it. You already told us. I've already told them. They know they can't come close. And the Lord says, away, go back down and then come back up. And so, um, you know, I think just the heart of God to protect the people. And he just knew they would be consumed. You know, true story. This dad and mom were getting away on a date and they dropped the kids off at the babysitters. And the dad's joking around with his boy as he leaves, you know, and he's just kidding. He's like, don't stick any beans up your nose while I'm gone. Goes out on a date, comes home. Takes the kid to the emergency room to take the beans that are stuck out, true story, to pull the beans that are stuck out of his nose. Now, if he didn't, he was just kidding, you know, it was a dad joke, you know, with dad's got some dumb jokes, right? And, and and it was just a dad joke, and the, the, but the kid wouldn't have put beans up his nose, and then, so dad leaves, and the night he's like, beans up my nose? I wonder what that would do. Why would dad tell me not to put beans up my nose? I wonder what that would feel like. You got any beans? You know? And, and that's human nature, right? It's like, don't do it, so we're going to go do it. And that's kind of the heart of God here is God is reminding Moses, hey, tell the people. And Moses is like, hey, don't worry, God, we got it. I already told him, and then the Lord said, away. Go down and then come back up, you and Aaron, with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. And God spoke all these words, saying, so verse 2 now begins the conversation. I'm just going to read it and then we're going to be done. We're going to, we're going to get into it next week. This is God now speaking audibly. You know, I don't know how I, I missed this, I guess, but this fact, this kind of little tweak here where um, Exodus 20 is actually God speaking to the people. You know, one of the parallels here is that in in um, in Hebrew tradition, even to this day, you, you speak to the rabbis, and the rabbis say there's there's this. Um, and it, it, when you read that God spoke as if the voice of of many rushing waters, you kind of in your mind, like, what did God's voice sound like? And, and so the, 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 the Holy Spirit kind of gives us a little insight to, to intrigue us a little bit, get us thinking. And he describes it as the voice of many, of many waters. The rabbi's tradition is that when God speaks, he speaks at this time that he spoke in 70 different languages. So that theoretically there were 70 languages on planet Earth at that time that anybody or in, any, in any language in the world would hear God speak. That's also consistent with this being a parallel when the law was given to when the Holy Spirit was given. What happened when the Holy Spirit was, was, fell at Pentecost? Men began to do what? Speak in other tongues. And no matter where you were, remember it says in, in Acts chapter 2 that no matter where you were from, everybody heard them in their own tongue as they, as they spoke there. And so, um, you know, it's God. And if God is speaking, I don't care what language you, you, you hear or you speak, You're going to understand God, right? And and it's possible, and it's very interesting to think that you would be hearing Him or understanding Him in your own language. You know, somebody asked, what language are we going to speak in heaven? I said, Ebonics. That's my favorite language. That's probably the one God will use. Um, You know, I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say you know, scholars believe that, that the language uh, that Jesus spoke and that God's language and it is is, is Hebrew or ancient Hebrew and that, um, you know, we'll speak Hebrew. Go with me. Hebrew, Ebonics, I don't care. Maybe we'll speak all languages. But, um, you know, one of the interesting, cool little side note is that in heaven, you're all going to have, the Bible says you're all going to have your own name. There's not going to be like 47 Bryans in heaven in one room. Like we have in here today. I always tease because I say, I tell everybody in our church, if somebody's new to our church, I say, if you forget one of the guy's names, just call him Brian. There's a good chance that you'll get it right. And uh, we had so many Brian's, you know. And then and then we had a new guy come. Oh, what's your name? Oh, I'm Chris. Another guy. What's your name? I'm Chris. And then we had like five Chrises in the room one day. And I'm like, I hope they don't notice this. <laughs> I've been bagging on the Brian's, And now we got five Chrises in the room. But the cool thing is in heaven, you're gonna, each person is going to have a specific name that nobody else... I mean, who knows? Billions of people in heaven? And God's going to... He can do it. Don't worry about it. He can cover the entire country in a snowstorm and not two flakes are alike. He can give you all your own name that's specific to you, your personality, your heart. And that we'll each have our own name in heaven So I'm going to read, I'm going to read this and then we're going to be done. This is the voice of God speaking. So I'm going to do this, you guys, in the voice of many rushing waters. If you speak multiple foreign languages, you might catch it in one of the other languages you speak. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And then the first verse three is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Now I'm going to comment real quick and then I'll stop commenting and just read. Um, if you see a list of the Ten Commandments, you're, you're going to see, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not, you know, have no gods before me. As I read through this, these are the Ten Commandments with some added commentary. So you'll be able to pick out in this list the, the part of it that is just the commandment that you would be used to seeing if you saw the Ten Commandments written on the walls of a courthouse in your house somewhere, the Ten Commandments. Um, except for when I get to the one... Um, in verse 12, that is the full commandment, um, even the second part. But some of it is, is some commentary that you, you won't probably recognize. So verse 3 says, you shall have no other gods before me. The first commandment. The second commandment. You shall not make for yourselves a, a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands and to those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse number seven is the next one. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Verse eight Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work. But in the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, nor shall you, sh- nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbors, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is that is your neighbor's. So in the Ten Commandments, the first four are horizontal, and they deal with our relationship with God. the the other um, The other six are are deal with our relationship with each other. Shall not kill, shall not steal, shall not lie. Don't covet your neighbor's wife and his things. And so four dealing with our relationship with God, and six dealing with um, our relationship with each other. Amen. All right, hey, next week we're going um, to start. We're going to get into First Commandment. Maybe do one and two next week. Um, take a couple weeks at least, at least five weeks maybe more, and do a a series on the Ten Commandments. I'm super excited about it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think we're going to tackle the question, um, do we have to follow the Ten Commandments today? Are the Ten Commandments Old Testament, Old Covenant? Now we're under the New Covenant of Grace, and we no longer need them. Um, How do they they fit? What did Jesus say about them? Um, What does the New Testament say about the Ten Commandments, and how do they apply to our 2016 living? Amen? Let's stand. Let's pray then if you are still hungry, we got some donuts for dessert over there. We had. That wasn't their donuts. Was there cheese over there? Because that wasn't their cheese either. Just kidding. I was going to say that's nacho cheese, but it didn't work. All right. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And and Jesus, we uh, we thank you for Exodus, Lord. We thank you for the Old Testament, and Lord, it's super important just to just to know it and read it. And Lord, it's amazing what what just things we learn and know about you and about your heart. And Lord, learning the heart of God through the entire Bible is is helps us understand. And Lord, as so many places in the Law of God that we're going to get into is is being attacked today by the atheist community and by you know the world mocking us and just not understanding that Lord, there really are things in the in the Old Covenant that are not for today that that are not don't apply to our lives today nor are your heart. And uh, Lord, there's things that that are just just wisdom and 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 wise and things that you give us lord that we do live by and so god we thank you and uh thank you for everybody that's in here tonight and pray your blessing upon them jesus name amen